Well, good morning. Well, I guess it's kind of hard to match that energy when I get up there for like a buzzkill when I stand up here. But uh, anyway, it's good. it is good to be here. Thank you, team, for leading us. Man, I am so thankful for the team and the talent and gifted that, giftedness that God has blessed us here uh, with at Crosspoint, and they uh, willingly serve. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, and as you are flipping there, uh, I guess I need to find where 1 Corinthians is too, don't I? First uh, Corinthians 15. But as you're flipping there, uh, a couple of announcements. Today uh, is a seven-year mark of Ashley's most favorite day of her life, and that's when she became a Holofield. Uh, but anyway, no, today is our uh, seven-year anniversary, and so uh, continue to, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited about that. Obviously, that she has stuck with me this long. And so I keep praying for her that she can uh, bear uh, the weight. And so anyway, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be. Uh, a couple other announcements. Uh, uh, I wasn't here when Paul made, uh, made his announcements. Uh, by the way, thank you, Paul. Everybody give Paul a hand. Paul's our youth pastor, by the way. Uh, we, we're trying to get him up here a little bit so we actually know, hey, when you see this, we have a bunch of bald-headed guys. And so when you see that bald-headed guy, he's the youth pastor. This one is the pastor. But anyway, uh, I don't know exactly all you mentioned, but uh, next Sunday, our uh, what we call Cross Point Sunday School or Bible study on Sunday morning uh, is kicking off next Sunday at 9 a.m. Uh, it is led by Josh Nowell and Jared Culpepper. They are going, we are going to walk through First uh, Timothy. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, walking through First Timothy, uh, and so you say, uh, I'm already a part of a small group. That's okay. This this isn't in uh, like would they do something different than other small groups? And so you can be a part of both. And so uh, last year, uh, actually into 2019, uh, we uh, started this class for a couple of reasons. One is because. A lot of our learning environments, as far as come to church goes, it's all a very uh, participant, not a participant, it is a uh, inactive learning environment, as in, like, take for instance on Sunday mornings, I stand up here, I talk for 30, 40, or like last week, an hour, uh, and I talk, and you listen, and there's not a lot of interaction, there's not active learning, and so we designed this class on Sunday mornings to be more of an active learning environment where we're reading through the scriptures together. We come together and we talk about that just as a facilitator of kind of moving the discussion and things like that. And so even if you're a part of a small group, you can still be connected to that. Uh, and if you're not a part of a small group and you say, I don't know where, really, really where to get started, this is kind of like, I want to say entry level, but this is a way to come into a class and get to meet other people that you may not usually associate with. And so uh, please associate with, it's not a good word, people you may not know, uh, uh, the other announcement, I know you may mention this, this Wednesday we're having a kids ministry kickoff, uh, and so I'm excited about this. It's been really pre-COVID, I believe, since we've had things for Wednesday nights for kids, and so, uh, you know, we as a church, uh, if we are not investing in our kids, then we're failing big time there. And so uh, we take ownership of that. But anyway, so we want to get something started back. And so this, this Wednesday, we're starting off. And so, uh, and then we will build upon it. We're excited about uh, just getting started. Uh, so it's K through six right now. Uh, and so we'll, we eventually wanted to be able to even have stuff for youngers than that. Uh, and so 
If you're part of a small group on Wednesday nights, uh, you can start dropping kids off by six at the church and come get them after small group. And so, but I am excited about that. And so I'm also saying that to say this, not only do we need kids to be there, we also are eventually going to need people to be there to help teach and things like that. And so we don't want this just to be, you drop off your kid for somebody else to teach, but we as a, as a, as a church, we believe in family and we want uh, to be able as, as families to come together and teach each other's kids and love each other's kids. And so uh, please, uh, if you're interested in, in serving uh, that at capacity or bringing your kid, talk to Kerry uh, about that. Kerry, can you raise your hand real quick? This is Kerry. You can't see her head, but that's Kerry. Uh, just walk in this general direction. Uh, I also made, I didn't make mention of this for next, uh, the Sunday, Sunday morning uh, small group. I did put a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the Next Step Hub there. You can uh, sign up there and uh, uh, leave your contact info, and Josh or Jared will want to contact you this week, that kind of a deal. Uh, the last thing is reading plans. I'm going to mention them every Sunday. We're walking through different reading plans. I know there's a good bit of people who are, 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 are doing those, and if you haven't started yet, it's okay. Uh, the best day to start is today. Uh, and so there are three different options. There's a chronological study. There's a John, or say study chronological reading. The, the thing about reading plans is you're not like necessarily just reading to, to sit there and saturate, and you're reading to, to read. And so uh, there's a chronological reading plan, a genre reading plan, and there's a New Testament reading plan. So that's on our website, crosspointchurch.org, uh, on the homepage, or there's some printed out ones right in the foyer as well. All right, now enough of that. I got to jump in. So the, uh, last week, we began to kind of really a- ask some hard questions. I think questions that uh, this previous year made me begin to ask myself as a pastor. Uh, and, and the questions like, if COVID, if, if we are unable to meet together uh, and we have, or even if we start meeting together, uh, we're still not all meeting corporately because of COVID and, and things like that. So we have a lot of people joining online, but how can we measure health and measure growth whenever we can't necessarily count I think I said butts and seats last week, but uh, we can't count the actual how many people are sitting in chairs. Is, is that a, you know, how can we measure health and growth? Can we measure health and growth uh, at a deeper level than just how many people are here and how much money is an offering plate kind of a deal? Is there ways that we can, that we can measure and uh, and begin to ask questions, are we seeing our mission, our mission at Crosspoint is that we want to we wanna be a place, our vision at Crosspoint is we want to be a place that anybody can come experience the life-changing power of the gospel. And our mission is that we want to see people come to know, love, and enjoy Jesus and become a kingdom catalyst. And so the question is, is are those things happening? Are people coming and experiencing the life-changing power of the gospel? And are people uh, becoming kingdom catalysts? Are people knowing, loving, and enjoying Jesus? And and as a church, uh, this is kind of where, as the pastor, I'm kind of, my cards are always on the table, by the way. I hope you all have realized that I'm always going to put my cards on the table as far as where where God is leading and things that I'm dealing with and things like that. And... uh, and, you know, as a, as a church and as a pastor, and I began to ask questions, you know, and this is not a pressure that I felt from you. So this is probably a pressure that I put on myself. I think this is a pressure that uh, in 2021 uh, that there's this kind of like this un 
maybe unspoken pressure that pastors put on themselves to, uh, to have the best, you know, read the books about church growth strategies and, and clever uh, practical vision casting and, uh, you know, all these cool things that we say, this clever programming. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I've always struggled with those things because I'm not that creative. I'm not that cool uh, and things like that. But, you know, is that what we need? Do we as a church, do we need for, for your pastor to come up with some cool church growth strategies or have this practical vision casting and, and things like that? And I ask questions, am I, am I free to choose what I want the church to look like? Can Crosspoint be anything that Justin wants it to be? I'm the pastor. Can I do anything that I want to? Can I, can I choose things like that? Uh, am, is it up to me for what our, our worship service looks like? Is it up for me to choose the complete direction of the church? Or does the Bible, does the gospel actually inform those things? Does God, has that God actually designed the way the church is supposed to look? Has God, has God set up a discipleship plan? Has God set up a church, a, a, a spiritual growth strategy, if you will? And I read this in the book that I talked about last week, and I've read it in a couple of other books. So I don't know who originally wrote this, but it says this, what you win people with is what you win people to. As a pastor, that kind of stopped me on my tracks of what you win people with is what you win people to. What I mean by that is if we're winning people based on our stage design, do you know what happens? Our stage design will once get old, and you know what we have to do? We have to redesign our stage. Uh, if, we're, if we're winning people on our talents, then we have this... This, this temptation, well, we have to get better, and we have to get better, and we have to get better, and we have to get, have to get better, and, and, and if, we can't, if we can't keep up with what, what we want somebody to, then they'll just go somebody that's got more money than us, and better talent than us, and they're more gifted than us, and, and things like that. And, and so I began to ask those questions, you know, or thinking about what we win people with is what we win people to. And the, the, this right here is uh, the way that the church wins its people, it shapes its people. And so if we win our people in something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that is how we shape people as well. And I may be simplistic, but I want to commit to the primacy in the centrality of the gospel. What I want to win you with, win your heart with, is the beauty and the depth of the gospel. And the centrality of it. Not on my performance, because I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to drop bombs in here, like I'm going to fail more than I'm going to succeed. There's going to be times that our band gets off. There's going to be we don't have enough money to change this state over and over and over again. It is not substantial. But what's happened in church culture and church world today, and I'm not pointing fingers there. I'm talking about in the church world altogether. That's how we've designed to win people in this century. To try to win people, try to win the world with worldly things. I, I read a book when I was in, in junior college. So this to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, the book was called Blessed Are the Uncool. Uh, and so, anyway, I guess I felt like I was uncool, so I was trying to get blessed on it. I was trying to get validated. It's okay to be uncool. But anyway, I read this book called Blessed Are the Uncool. And the premise of this book was, uh, it, if, you, if you're constantly trying to chase what's cool, you're always going to be chasing. You know why? Because cool changes year after year. 
But if you can understand you are who you are in Christ, then you are blessed to receive. And so the same thing with the church is if we're constantly chasing the, the, the next highlight or the next growth strategy plan, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. But, but if, if, our, if our focus and our emphasis isn't on the one thing that never changes, then we're constantly going to be searching for the next and newest thing. And what happens is, is that when we win people with, with, the, with shallow things, with low commitment things, then we're going to have easy departure. And when we read the Gospels, when you read following Jesus, it wasn't a low commitment thing. It wasn't like, yeah, I'm a, I guess so. Like, if, to be a Christian in those days, you may have got thrown in a stadium and let lions eat you apart just for being a Christian. And so when you read the New Testament, it's like this, this high cost, the high cost of following Jesus. But what we've done in 2020 and before is for the sake of reaching the masses, we've lowered the cost or, or the, what it means to be a follower for the sake of filling seats. And I, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> That's okay. I want us to, to plug in. And, 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 and so what we'll come to understand through this series and really I hope from this point forward is that, yes, we, we will be focused on discipleship strategies. We'll put plans in place. We'll, we'll hopefully build bridges to be able to connect to small groups. But what I want us to see is that the gospel actually informs all of those things. That the gospel actually informs our worship services. The gospel tells us that when we come here on Sunday mornings, the gospel tells us who the audience is. The gospel tells us who's the subject, who's the focus on Sunday mornings. The gospel teaches us those things. It reveals those things to us. And as we walk through this series, I'm hoping, listen to me. I, I read this and I shared it with a team this morning. Uh, D.A. Carson, some of you have heard that name. He's not really the most passionate guy in the world. He, he's a great teacher, very dry. Uh, but this is a statement that he made that I read this week, and it's, <clears throat> uh, you don't get people excited by telling them what to be excited about. People get excited about what you're excited about. And I hope that through this, that we, we, build, we see this excitement building because we see the, the sufficiency of the gospel and the finished work of Christ and that from it, it drives everything we do as a church. That when it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to wanting to, to, to read scriptures, when it comes to wanting to get connected to people that, man, the gospel gives me a love for that. Like the gospel, and when I'm saturating myself in the gospel, I see my need to know more and I want to get with people who are going to iron sharpens iron kind of a thing that it, it naturally becomes a part of, of who I am whenever, whenever I, we, we look at how the gospel creates a body and it creates a unity and then we look at small groups not just as something I've got to do but something that, that, that I'm, I need to do that is something I desire to do because I need to be with those people and so what I'm saying is well, I'm not about to throw Crosspoint up on its head and, and just change things out the wazoo but I want us to give us a fresh perspective a fresh driving force Hence, gospel-driven church. 
So, why gospel driven? First Corinthians chapter 15. This morning I'm going to, I'm going to list four characteristics of a gospel driven church. We're probably only going to do two of them. And so I have the tendency to just try to fit all this sermon in today. But God told me this morning, get to where you can go, pick up back next week, because we want to walk through these things. We don't want to, we don't want to rush these things, because this is, this is the direction in which we are turning uh, this year. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which... You are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's pray, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. We do pray that as we open your word and begin to see just the beauty of the gospel, the sufficiency, the versatility, the effectiveness of the gospel, that as we who maybe have been a follower of Christ who have received this gospel a long time ago, may you, may you renew the joy of salvation in our hearts this morning. May you give us a fresh love for your gospel. May you, may you open our eyes to the wonder and the beauty of it as we walk through this. God, I pray that as we do walk through, God, that we will repent of any uh, apathy towards the gospel, any normalcy towards the gospel. God, that we'll never lose sight of just how majestic and marvelous it is and how blessed we are to have heard it and received it. So in Christ's name we pray and everybody says. Why the gospel-driven church, number one, if you're taking notes. Actually, let me give you all four of them real quick. Didn't I, do you have them in a list there, bud? Okay, here's the four uh, reasons or the four characteristics. Number one is that a gospel-driven church, gospel-driven churches are constantly reminding. The second one is gospel-driven churches are constantly reprioritizing. Third one, gospel-driven churches are constantly repenting. And the fourth one, gospel-driven churches are constantly reforming. And so we'll take these one by one. Like I said, probably just get through the first two this morning. Next week, we will do three and four. But number one, the gospel, or gospel-driven churches are constantly reminding. Do you know why the gospel-driven churches are always reminding? It's because we're all, always forgetting. And we're always forgetting we need to be reminded that the gospel isn't anything that we do, no matter how important the things we do are. Because what we do is important as followers of Jesus, but the gospel isn't anything that we do. Many of the things that we do are commanded and we are to obey God, but we remember what we do is not the gospel. The most important thing is that what, the most important thing the gospel is what Christ has done in its most basic level, and this is important for me, you to catch, for me and you to catch this morning, the gospel is an announcement. It's good news. 
at its, at its core, at, at the ideal, the smallest part of it, if you will, it is good news. It is a newspaper headline that God forgives sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the announcement of something that happened historically that is implications by the power of the Spirit now. In verses 3 and 4, we see the, the essence, or the, the, in a nutshell, he says, this is the gospel that I delivered to you. I delivered to you of a first importance. We'll come back to that. What I also received, there, here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here is the essential message of the gospel. The gospel is the one that even a child can believe and be saved for all eternity. That Christ died for our sins and was buried, he was buried and raised on the third day. There's so much more that could be said about the gospel, but this is the irreducible complexity of the gospel. It's an, uh, an announcement. The announcement is that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and Christ rose from the grave. And we need constant reminding because we have a tendency to constantly forget what the gospel says and what the gospel does. We forget the entailments and implications of the gospel. How is, how, how is it or how are people uh, to be empowered to do what the gospel calls us to do? How is it that we are empowered to obey the commands of God? Is it in our own power? What enables us to know, love, and enjoy Jesus? What enables us to become kingdom catalysts? Is it clever programming or practical vision statements or religious strength? Or is it the power of grace that is found in the gospel? Paul says, now I remind you, brothers, now this is, he wasn't writing in chapters in, it was just one letter, but 15 chapters in, he stops his head, I need to remind you real quick. I need to remind you of the news, the announcement that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that Christ rose again. I need to remind you in the middle of it, why, why is it that God was constantly reminding them of this thing that he had done in the past? And here's ground level here, you ready? Because you, you and I don't wake up in gospel mode every morning. We don't wake up every morning going, man, I love Jesus and it's a great day to be alive. We don't wake up, man, it's, important, it's more important for me to love my neighbor than I do myself. We don't wake up thinking about the golden rule. We don't, we don't wake up, we're not in gospel mode when we wake up. When I wake up, my first thoughts are usually about my day or my week. What's my day going to look like? Do I have meetings this week? What's going to happen over the next couple of days? It may not be a conscious thing, but just think about the way our days start. Do you, do, raise your hand if you drive to work. This is the interactive part. Raise your hand if you drive to work. I know some of you can work at home right now, but if, if you drive to work, have you ever noticed that everybody's driving too fast or too slow? You ever notice that? Man, if they just drive faster, if they just get out of my way, if they just slow down, they're being dangerous. Everybody, listen, everybody's driving too fast or too slow. They seem to just be in your way. You know why? Because in our lives, we are the standard by which everyone else should drive. If everyone would just drive this way, then it would be fixed. Why? Because we become the standard of even the roads. Or maybe you run into a grocery store real quick, and you want to walk through the 15 items or less line. And you get there, and somebody's got like 30 things, and they're trying to barter with the cash register lady, right? Do you take... 
can I give you a, some shells or something? And it's such an inconvenience because my day is planned and I'm in a hurry and this is an inconvenience to me. Or maybe you go like last night, Ash and I went to, uh, had to go to Walmart on our date night. This is what it has awesome. Our anniversary date night, we went to the loft and then we went to Walmart, high class, right? But we get there and we're going to do the self-checkout, but we do, we're trying to do cash only on things now. We're trying to really take a hold of our finances and things like that. So we're trying to uh, pay cash only and we get to one and I check, I check everything out and then I go to put the cash in and it says, this one doesn't take cash. And I was like, what? Why couldn't you tell me before, right? Like we, 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 everything's messing up my day and my routine and my plan. Think about drive throughs Man, you want to see some people stirring the pot on Facebook? Just go look at people when they start talking about McDonald's and Ellisville and their double lines. <laughs> or the lack of, right? So uh, we talk about these drive throughs it's, 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 it's messing up my convenience. People don't understand that this is my day. And here's the tension, you ready? Here's the tension at home, here's the tension at work, and here's the tension in our churches, is that throughout my day, I run into other people who think it's their day. And we begin to infringe on people's self-sovereignty. There's other people that they're the star of the show. And what happens is, is that we fail to realize that the, this day is the Lord's day. He's made it. It's his. We aren't set to grace when we wake up. We're, we're set to self-sovereignty. So that's one layer of us forgetting that we don't wake up in gospel mode every day. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Here's another, here's another layer of fuel. Maybe you're constantly looking at social media and news articles and conspiracy theories and, and the news you're taking in is full of doubt and fear and uncertainty and we begin to operate in caution and darkness. What well, we need to be reminded, we need to be retold of the good news that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried and that Jesus rose again. And because that is the truth, listen to me, Come hell or high water, Jesus is still king. He's still risen. The grave is still empty. You can't uneaster him. He's there. And so we need to be reminded, listen to him, hey, I don't know what today looks like. I don't, I don't know what you read on the Instagram. I don't know what you saw by so-and-so. Listen to me. Jesus died. He was buried, and he rose again. Church, it doesn't matter. Listen, we need to be reminded of the gospel. It's the headline. <laughs> and listen, when I began thinking through this series, when I began thinking through the simplicity of gospel centrality, listen to me, I began to think, and I'll get this to my next point, will that preach every Sunday? I got to come up with something new every Sunday. I got to be fresh. I got to be cool and, and things like that. And listen to me, one of my biggest fears is that I'll waste your time. But here's what I thought about a while ago or earlier today. Well, what I do know is that even hearing what I've already known of the gospel, especially by grace, that is the most important thing you could hear, rehear. And so if, you get, if there's something that you need to hear over and over again, it's grace. It's the gospel. And so it is what it is. It's the best thing to hear over and over So number two, number one, is that gospel-driven churches are constantly remembering. Number two, gospel-driven churches are constantly reprioritizing. Does the gospel preach every Sunday? 
are those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time who have moved on to deeper things. Will they get bored if we preach the gospel every Sunday? Will it hold up? Look what Paul says in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I had received. When he says this first importance, I don't think he's talking about the initial importance. I think he's talking about the central importance. As in, this is the most important thing. This is of the greatest importance. Why? Because look at the expansiveness that he's applying to the good news in verses 1 and 2. Look at it. Verses 1 and 2. This this gospel, this simple gospel that a child can believe that Christ died, that he was buried, and he rose again. This gospel, it says, in which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. The complexity of it. Why is it it the centerpiece? Why is it of first importance? Because look at the vastness of it. It's the, it's the beginning and the end of the Christian life. It is what brings us in. It's what keeps us in. It's what gets us home. It is all of those things. That's why it's got to be first importance. Look at the clauses that he uses. He says, which you receive. This is past tense. He says, I want to remind you of this gospel that you receive. This is past tense. And the reality is this morning, if, if, you, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you have believed in Christ, rather somehow, some way, rather God, the Holy Spirit has taken an announcement of the gospel that you have heard at some point in your life, and he has awakened you to believe. So it's a past tense. This gospel is something that you received past tense. But then he says, in which, in which you stand. Your present status, child of God, before God, is not based on your performance after salvation. It is based on the good news and finished work of Christ. This is supremely important for assurance. Are you weary this morning? Or have you felt like you've missed the mark? See, Justin, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've, I've missed the mark. Here's assurance for you. Your stance standing before God is not based on your good days or your bad days. Because even on your good days, listen to me. I heard this a long time ago. You could wake up. This morning, you could wake up tomorrow morning and be late, and somebody cuts you off, and you just you give them, a, hey, it's good to see you. Have a good, nice day today. And you could you could go to you could go to lunch and pay for somebody's meal because God put it on your heart. You could you could you could give somebody ten thousand dollars. You could be so spiritual tomorrow, then so close to Jesus that you walked on water. Listen to me, you would still fall short of the glory of God that day. It's not based on your performance. Is based on a finished work of Christ. We need to be reminded of that. Unless I'm the only one who still sins in this room. Galatians 3 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? There's this tendency that. What they were teaching in, in Galatians there is that it was a works-based salvation. That, and so Paul says, hey, you didn't do anything to get in, so do you think you can begin to perform now to stay in? Do you think you're going to perfect your salvation or mature your salvation by what you do? 
We have this mindset that we get in by the gospel, and whether it's conscious or, you know, where it's rather just been ingrained in us, but that we get in by the gospel, we were kept by something bigger and better and deeper things. And listen to me, what I understand from these two verses is that there's nothing deeper than the gospel. Peter says that the angels long to look at it. It's eternally fascinating. Child of God, you need to know, you need to be reminded that your present status before God is not on a probationary status. It's not that you get in by the gospel and that you stand in by the law. What Paul tells us, what he reminds us of this simple message that you get in by the gospel and you stay in by the gospel. Nothing is bigger or better than that. We need it every day. He says, the gospel in which you received and in which you stand, and then he says, check out this clause, and by which you are being saved. Here we have a, a present, future saved. The, the picture that he's saying here about, about receiving in this gospel, it isn't just for justification. It isn't just a stance before God, but it's also sanctification. That we're, that we're becoming more Christ-like when we behold Christ. That's what we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. For we all with unveiled face, we're what? Beholding the glory of the Lord. We're seeing, we're beholding. It says we're being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want to ask you a question. If beholding the glory of the Lord equals transformation. My, I'm a two plus two guy. When, where can I behold the glory of the Lord? Where does the glory of the Lord shine most brightest? It's in the gospel. It's in the gospel. We see the glory of the only son who takes on flesh. Like, I don't, we see the glory of the Lord brightest in this gospel, he, was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And obviously the gospel is bigger than, when we begin to really dive in, the gospel is bigger than what maybe some of us have thought it was. In these two verses, we learn that the good news is bigger inside than it is outside. Is anybody familiar with those Russian nesting dolls? If not, I'll tell you what they are real quick. You've seen those weird little creepy women that are like carved things, uh, and then you pull this one up, and it's a smaller one. You know what I'm talking about? Then you pull that one, it's a smaller one. You pull that one, it's a smaller one. You find this itty-bitty thing. And that's the same way the gospel is, but it's in reverse. It starts with this itty-bitty thing that's so simple that a child can believe in and be saved. And then it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger. And before long, we'll realize it'll take all of eternity to grasp the depths of this gospel message. There's a cosmos of blessings that come through the message of his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel of scripture teaches us that it is the power and grounds for justification and sanctification. The gospel is the power for us to obey. We never outgrow our need for it. In Romans chapter 1, we read that, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes that, that, he, that he became a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full of conviction. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, for us who are being saved is the power of God. The gospel is power. The gospel is so powerful, powerful and so versatile and so resilient that Paul leaned on in all of his journeys. If he was suffering, if he was being persecuted, if he was shipwrecked, if he was preaching, if he was in prison, he was saying, I'm leaning on the power of the gospel. It was versatile for everything that he needed it for. But here in 2020, 21, we say, I don't think the gospel will preach every week. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Oh, may we never hear the marvelous good news and yawn. The gospel can hold up to any and everything. It is resilient. These are things that I've been told. Shouldn't I be, Justin, shouldn't you be more creative should you talk more about politics? Should you be more application loaded? No, the message is non-negotiable. Because I only get one hour a week with you. And the message is non-negotiable. I don't want to fill your lives with five steps of how to, how to do things or what to do. I want to tell you the good news of a finished work. That's all the time I get. And every Sunday I want to remind you in some capacity of a finished work. Because here's what I've learned. Listen to me. Are you battled? Are you broken? Are you anxious? Is your family a wreck? Have you lost your job? This morning, I want to remind you that because of the gospel, he is at work in all those things. Absolutely all of them. I can remind you this morning that he died and he was buried and that he rose again. Death is defeated as we sing, and the king is alive. And so no matter what we're walking through, it's an empty tomb. And he's even redeemed the, the things that the enemy means for evil. Jesus' sacrifice is so sufficient that he takes those things that the enemy could destroy us with and uses them for his own glory and our good. That's not sufficient. His sacrifices. That what the, that's, why, that's why Joseph could look at his brothers in the Old Testament and say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because listen to me, jo- Joseph was a pre-picture of, of Jesus that when Jesus could out, we can now, some, how many thousand years later, say, hey, because of Jesus and the empty tomb, what the enemy means to I- evil, what he means for evil, what he means to destroy me with, God has redeemed even that. That doesn't mean that 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 the that, that valley gets not as low. That doesn't mean we still don't feel pain and hurt. Oh, but we are not, we are not dismayed by those things. We're not destroyed by those things. Our flesh yearns for more and for something else. But we as a church, we must laser focus, fix our eyes on the gracious Christ, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. We need constant reprioritizing. 
We need a constant keeping the main thing the main thing, personally and corporately. The gospel is central. It's of first importance. It's effectual. It changes, and it's versatile. It gets you in. It keeps you in, and it gets you home. It's versatile. It's for every aspect of the Christian life. The gospel is the unifying and motivating factor in everything that we do. Listen to me. The gospel makes the church. The gospel makes the church one. The gospel makes the church unique. The gospel makes the church powerful. The gospel makes the church holy. The gospel makes the church missional. The good, the good news, this gospel isn't in the peripheral of our ministry. It is in the essential part of it. As Connor comes out, we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to just do two points like I told you. Because I've still got, how much ever I preach, I got that much more. And so I'm going gonna, gonna to give you a break today. And so here's the question. What is it that changes people's lives? Is it an eloquent speech that I don't have, by the way? Is it... Is it Daniel picking all the all the right songs. Man, this, hey, we're big. We work, we're working hard. Like what I call seams. I don't know what the music term is, but like transitions, like we can have the most fluid worship service. Is that what changes a life? We can, listen to me. We can have coffee and donuts. Hey, you want me to show you like, what, one of those things is like winning people with you, winning people too. Start serving people coffee and then not stop serving them, then stop serving them coffee. Now, most of you stayed here. Thank you for that. But we thought, we're not having coffee. They're going to go somewhere else to have coffee. Well, go get that coffee. You know what I mean? Like, like that's like those practical things that I, but what changes a life? It's the gospel. And I confess, I repent before you that I've put that secondary for a long time. No, I've got to have the coolest points. I've got to have the best ideas. Now, I will say this. Now, this gospel-centered isn't going to be this boring, it's, it's going to be, it, it's life, it's, it's full. There's going to be, I think the gospel shapes church structure. I think that it, it shapes the governance of a church. It shapes all this. So there are things that are going to change, but I'm not just going to, like I said, flip us on the head and go, we're going to become second Baptist of the chosen frozen. That's not, that's not where I'm going with. But a realignment to go in, what is it that I know is going to change your heart? Yes, yeah, some people want to feel like they belong before they believe, and I, I get that. But that feeling of belonging isn't going to change your heart. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And that we become people who are gospel-centered, not just when we meet here, but at work. And I'm going to try to drive the ship the best I can up here on Sunday mornings to keep you focused on the gospel. And we're going to set out plans to help maybe foster growth and discipleship and, and things like that. And we're going to maybe reorder some things in, in the backgrounds of the church that help us better serve and pastor you and things like that. And we'll get there when we get there. But right now, we're starting right here. I just need you to buy in with me. I need you to hang out with me and follow me. Because I really believe that, like I said, 
for the first time since I've been your pastor. I can see. The gospel changes lives. And that's where I want our hearts and minds to be. We want people to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. Listen to me, child of God. The gospel can still change your life this morning. Are you weighed down by the things of the world? Are you weighed down by the uncertainties of the world? Are you weighed down by somebody, you've lost somebody or things like that? Listen to me. The gospel is life. The gospel is hope. It can change your life today just as much as it did when you came and you received. Oh, but if you're here this morning and you hear this guy who's up here weeping, talking about this gospel and changing and things like that, and you hadn't received this gospel, I want to tell you this morning that God loved you so much that Jesus came. He died, as Paul writes. And when he died, he took on, Scripture says that he became sin. You ever thought about what, how, how do you become sin? Like, I know how to sin, but how do I become sin? John MacArthur says it like this, that, that God the Father treated the Son on that day as if he was every sin that ever had been committed. That means your impure thoughts. That means your lies, your disobedience. Whatever that's, you know that sin. You know what those sins are. How don't you know that Christ died? And when he died, he took on that sin. It's like personal. He didn't just take on the sins of the whole world. He took on your sin. And scripture says then he was placed in a tomb. And there he, he was there for three days ish. Three ish. Depends when you start counting days. But anyway, then. Scripture says that he rose. He rose from the grave and death was defeated and hell had no longer had any power and any grip. And because and Scripture says not only did he, he become sin, but he did that so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And so how do you become the, if he became sin, how do we become righteous? Well, it's the same thing that just as God treated his son as if he was every sin that ever was committed. Now, because of that, he can treat you and me as if we had never committed any sin at all. And scripture says, all you need to do is receive that. And what happens when you receive that, at that, at that moment, you're placed in Christ, and now your stance before God is now in him, forgiven redeemed, justified. All I got to do is just, yeah, just, just receive it. It's as if I, if I was going to hand this Bible to Ashley and she received it, it's, it's that simple. The Bible says just to call out, just, just to receive it. I receive that gift of salvation. Have you ever done that this morning? If not, I want to invite you to do so. This morning, right now, would you just receive that which Christ has paid for? This morning, child of God, I want to remind you of that empty tomb. Hey, I'm going to be standing down here. I know that I told you all I was done 20 minutes ago. Connor, your fingers okay? You good? Okay. Getting carpal tunnel back there because I got him playing the keys too long. 
But this morning, if if you would say just, I want to, I want to take that next step, whatever that next step is. I don't want to just label it and say, hey, I, I want to do that. We don't do a lot of public. I don't know how I feel about calling people down. And, but I will say I'll make myself available, that I'll be standing right in here, right down here by Ashley and say, Justin, I want to talk about salvation. I'll be, I'll be standing right here. You can come talk to me, and I can connect you with, we have many people in here who could, who could talk to you, go into another room and talk to you. But here's what I ask you for, church. And I said it in this video this past week on social media. Will you join me in praying for God to move in our midst? Will you begin to join me in praying that God will use Cross Point Church to save those who do not know him? Will you join me in praying that through the gospel, not only are sinners justified, but saints are sanctified? That God will work. He will give us a love for Jesus, a love for our neighbor. That we will despise our sin and love him even greater. Will you join me in praying for that? I do believe that God wants to take us somewhere. I think it starts with us, us people bowing our knees and saying, God, this is what we desire. And if I don't desire, God, give me that desire. The front will be open if you want to come down here. In the next couple weeks, we're going to have a little altar-type prayer bench thing built down here for this purpose. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to shut up. You're going to stand. Band's going to come out. But you respond. If you want to come pray down here, if you want to go grab somebody to pray, if you want to come talk to me or Ash or anybody else, just move as the Lord leads. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your gospel. The simple yet profound. The simple enough for a child to understand the sufficient enough to carry us from receiving to becoming when we go home with you. Oh God, may you convict us of sin, of despondency towards this message. May you light a fire within us to love it, to celebrate it, to share it. And I pray that through this series and through this time in our church that you unite our hearts in Christ through the gospel. It's in Christ that we pray. Everybody said, amen.